0: Hi, I'm Liberace, famed pianist and notorious ladies' man, and also a bit of a sequin horse. (laughs) Well, my former lover sued me for alimony, but because we weren't legally married, the courts didn't know what to do for us. Uh, I even wrote a song about it. I'll be seeing you in all the judicial places clogging courts with stupid cases all year through thank you that's one of my favorites that was Palimony by Michelle Triola Lee Marvin and Marvin Mitchelson oh I wish my brother George was here for this one the history of Palimony on this week's This Was a Thing
1: This
2: was a thing, this was a thing, this was a thing Do you remember Paddy vs.
3: Kidnapping? This was a thing, pretty much, Atari Deep Throat
2: Roots and Ted Bundy Hanoi Jane, Celebrity Bullying That was a thing Bobby Fischer, Blackouts, Benny and Paul Lily and, and Marie. Rich Little and Village Jean King
3: Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear.
0: On this week's episode, we are discussing the concept known as palimony, Hmm. P-A-L-I-M-O-N-Y, palimony. Correct. Oh, now this was a thing, folks, because prior to its creation, the law... The law, did not <laughs> the law, the law coming for you did not recognize long-term domestic partners or queer couplings because it took us a while to get our rights as having the same rights as married couples. So if the couple split up, non-married couple, neither one was entitled to any sort of alimony or a fair division of property and assets, right? Because there's no marriage contract. Yeah. So what's mine? What's yours? But like most things in America, it needed a celebrity to be the poster boy for this dilemma. And Palimony got two celebrities. Oh. Two men as different as different could be one of them was tough guy lee marvin oh yeah and the other one was pianist Liberace. oh yeah i'd love to see them in a buddy comedy oh my god imagine Like, like, at the courthouse. Well, I picture like, Liberace like, playing something on the piano and then Lee Marvin taking a gun and then just shooting one of the keys. <laughs> just slamming the, just the, the door closed. <laughs> Ow. You hurt my fingers. My fingers. But before we tickle the ivories with Lee, let's look back on some marriage facts. I'm going to give you some the history of marriage. I'll give you the history of my marriage. Uh, <laughs> open up the scotch, I'm ready. The first recorded marriage was in mesopotamia oh around 2350 bce it was not recorded by historians but actually records were found in the mesopotamia bed bath and beyond registry (laughs) according to records the first couple's registry included leaves grapes and a cure for the flu uh i have a one thread linen sheet uh it's egyptian cotton or as we call it here in egypt cotton (laughs) <laughs> uh, um, most often marriages, I'm sure you know this, were entered into a fiscal benefit for both of the parties. It really wasn't about love. It was what? about finance, right? And it was usually for the groom's family and the groom. They would be the ones benefiting it because the daughter usually had a dowry or financial savings that would now go to the husband in marriage. In the Jewish faith, there is something known as the Covenant Code, not Indiana Jones, oh. but rules that lay out that a husband must take care of his wife. And if he fails, they can divorce with no cost to the wife. And some women, this is actually this is kind of a marriage I think I would enjoy. Some women even had what was known as a bina, which is a tent in which they reside, the wife, and has complete independence from her husband in that tent. It's like separate bedrooms. Okay. So the idea of marrying young, because a lot of people marry young, came from the Greeks when men married in their 20s because they were just done with their military service. And women were getting married in their teens because that was when they were the most fertile for producing children. So here we go. This is where it's going to start to change. So in ancient Greece and Rome, marriages were private agreements between individuals and estates. Does it make sense? Yeah. You didn't have to do anything else besides that except I love you. You love me. The only like legitimacy of like a marriage was community recognition of it. They said if the community says, hey, those two people are married, then that was considered a marriage back then. Yeah. Kind of easy in a lot of ways. Yeah. So normally civil and religious officials took no part in any of these marriage ceremonies. They didn't keep registries. It was relatively common for couples to cohabitate with no ceremony cohabitating for a moderate period of time was sufficient enough time to make a marriage cohabitating for the purpose of marriage there was no stigma we call it today if if we're living together and we're not married it's called friendship living in sin living in sin but back then they were like no you got to see if you like living with the person before you make the the... i mean it makes sense now ancient rome is going to get involved Of course they are. And they're going to give us some different types of marriages. The first is the traditional marriage in which a woman gives up her rights to her family's inheritance, but will now inherit her new family's inheritance. Okay. Now there was the second one is called a free marriage. That's where the wife stays the property of her father and will inherit his money when he dies. So as you can see back then, marriage was really not about love. It was about financial Security. yeah, But leave it to the church to come in and they're going to spoil all the fun in the early CE or common era saying it would be fruitful for the bishops to approve the marriages. And then the ceremonies began to take on more religious overtones. So the church was saying we'd like to stick our nose in just about everything. So why not marriages as well? In the 12th century, women began taking the surnames of their husbands prior to that. That did not happen. Oh, wow. And in the 16th century. Parents now had to approve of the marriage as well as the church. So by 1563, it was decided that a valid marriage must be performed by a priest and two witnesses present so that if the marriage contract wanted to be broken, it was harder to do so. But the church also recognized that marriages just shouldn't be about property and land and laid out more justifications for such things as annulment and encouraging for people to marry for love and not entering arranged marriages, which was the custom of the day. And after the Black Plague, the church and society were, were much looser in the marrying ages. And that's why John and Jane Summerford Baretta were married in 1552 at the ages of three and two, respectively. Huh, okay. Three and two. That's a young marriage there. Then we got things like prescriptive marriages. Those were marriages that were specifically for lineage purposes, royalty, forced marriages, which was against the person's will. And as time went on, the state, this is important, became more involved in the marriages, becoming not only the record keepers, but defining what makes a marriage and what those rights are in the marriage. Mostly the idea of a priest performing the ceremony that's such a big one. Now, in 1875, Germany recognized something called civil marriages, and these were marriages performed by civil servants rather than priests. Oh, so like a judge or somebody like that. I or, thought it was performed by simple shepherd. Uh, no, that would be wonderful if it was, though. Yeah. And then slowly, be, that that became the trend in the West. And as you can see, the religious elements of the marriage became tied up in the legality of it. So there is no separation between church and state in terms of marriage. So if you don't live up to the codes, but live as man and wife. How does the law recognize that? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the attempt to fix that was something known as a common law marriage. That was a, a marriage where no ceremony was held, but the couples lived together for a long time and thus, under the law, are considered married. This was around for centuries, mm-hmm. but It became more and more obsolete as legality issues around the common law marriage occurred. So if you and I were in a common law marriage, right, Mm -hmm. and I had more money than you, we could break up and you could say, oh, it was a common law marriage, so therefore Rob owes me money. And I would say, but we never, it was not a common law marriage. We were just living together. So it became like a he said, she said type thing. So the courts got involved and were like, listen, this is picking on the richer of the two. So eventually common law marriages sort of disappeared. So we have the common law marriage idea. We know what where the legality of marriages come in. Now let's talk about divorce because that's really what our people are going to be going through today. As we know, marriages sometimes don't work out. To quote the great Skippy Low, well... C'est la vie. Basically, if one of the parties is unable to fill their duties and responsibilities, it's ground for divorce. There are contested divorces. That's where there's a trial at fault divorces. One of the partners has done something pretty bad. No fault divorces. That's where both parties are parting amicably with no grievances. What do you think is the leading cause of divorce? Uh, th- uh, not finishing food from the grocery store. That's second. First is adultery. Oh, okay.
3: uh, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of fights that can be had about not finishing a grocery
0: run. Now, for years, the church preached that divorce was a sin and you go to hell or be excommunicated if you had one. So that stigma led to people thinking those that were divorced were somehow broken or something was wrong with them. Now, obviously, as time has gone on and people understand psychology more, this stigma is lessening. But regardless. Certain legal issues must be discussed in a divorce, alimony, child custody, property division. But there are legal guidelines to show how to maneuver those obstacles. But what if you're not married, don't recognize common law marriages, and you want to leave your partner? Do you have any rights? Well, move over, Salino and Barnes, because we're (laughs) going to walk you through two of the most notorious separation cases that created a celebrity hailstorm, as well as a new legal quagmire. The word a casual pun, was called Palimony. And it starts with actor Lee Marvin and his girlfriend, Michelle Triola. Now, who was Lee Marvin? Lee Marvin was the Harrison Ford of his time. He was a tall, white-haired man, big old smile. He was tough, craggly, a boss. And he was in films like The Killers and The Dirty Dozen, The Professionals, Point Blank, The Big Red One, and the film for which he won the Oscar, Cat Ballou.
1: Well now, friends, just lend an ear for you're now about to hear the ballad of Baloo.
2: It's a song that's newly made, and Professor Sam the Shade and the Sunrise Kid are singing it for you. Cat Cadballeau. Now, from 1951
0: to 1967, good old Lee was married to a woman named Betty. They had four kids, but eventually split up. Now, in 1964, he met a woman named Michelle Triola. Now, she had led an eclectic life, having been a lounge singer Oh, in the musical Flower Drum Song, although there's no record of that anywhere that I can find, (laughs) and was a stand-in on a film called Ship of Fools, starring, you guessed it, Lee Marvin. Oh. Now, they moved in together. And Triola alleged that Marvin promised to support her for the rest of her life. He said to her, and she, this was her quote, what I have is yours and what you have is mine. She was also pregnant by Marvin three times. Uh, she miscarried one of the babies and said that he paid for two abortions because he didn't want to be a father. Hmm. And she said that those abortions now left her unable to have children. So honestly, it looks kind of like a rebound relationship from Marvin, From I think from Marvin's perspective. Because in 1970, he married his high school sweetheart, whom he would stay married to until he died in 1987. Needless to say, Michelle wasn't too thrilled. Yeah. And she could kind of sense that Lee might be leaving. So in a last ditch effort to keep him, guess what she does? She changes her name. To Michelle Triola Marvin. Oh, good. Lee Marvin apparently said to her, he goes, why don't you change your name to Gary Cooper? That's a more successful actor. (laughs) Uh, So he had a good sense of humor about it. Anyway, he was like, though, I'm out of here. I'm going with my high school sweetheart. She was not too thrilled. She wanted to take legal action, but what legal action could she take? They weren't married, but Michelle said she deserved everything under California law a spouse should get. She said, I should get alimony and I should get community property. Well, now, if she wanted that, she should have married him. But they weren't married, right? Okay. So Marvin, just like to like, get her off of his back, was like, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send you a monthly check of $833, which today is about $6,000. Okay. So like $6,000 a month. On one condition. Get the fuck out of my life. Got it. That was his one condition. But eventually... Marvin's new wife, the high school sweetheart was like, I kind of don't like the fact that you're paying off your ex-girlfriend every month. So no more of that. So he was like, okay, I'm going to stop. He stopped. Michelle Triola, Marvin got pissy. So we have Lee Marvin, Michelle Triola, Marvin, and now we're going to (laughs) meet Michelle's lawyer. Marvin Mitchelson. Oh, good. So we got a lot of M's in this one today, right? Now, before Triola hired Mitchelson, he was really known for winning the landmark case, Douglas v. United States, which held up the rights of indigent litigants, saying that money should not be a factor in uh, your defense. Now, he had to go, though, where the money was and where the celebrity was. So he was eagerly waiting to represent Michelle Triola because as a divorce lawyer, he's kind of the best there is. And this is a new thing he could be arguing for. He once said a divorce lawyer is a chameleon with a law book but what was michelle asking for she wanted all the rights and benefits a spouse would get in a divorce but there was no marriage contract in place and so it was basically he said she said how could mitchelson let the world know that triola deserves something in a snappy snazzy way and he found it palimony or as he called it marriage with no rings attached <laughs> partner alimony it's, it doesn't mean pal like buddy yeah partner yeah i oh. didn't I didn't know that. I thought it was like, hey, pal. Oh. Now, Michelle Triola was asking for half of everything Marvin had. And Lee
3: Marvin is in a marriage at this yes. point. Yes. And so it would be half of his wife's stuff
0: too, right? Well, she was asking for the money that he had accrued while they were together. So anything after the breakup was not on the table, but still, and she was charging him with abandonment, which was one of the tenets of the at-fault divorce. It would take seven years for Marvin Mitchelson to get the case of Marvin versus Marvin, not Triola, (laughs) to court as the courts had an issue. Legally, this was a common law marriage, but California abolished common law marriages in 1895. So the court was like, we're rejecting this case. Marvin appealed, Mitchelson, Appealed And in 1976, the California court said, yeah, this can go to trial. And in 1979, with other palimony cases cropping up in 15 other states, people were really ready to go. So as soon as he brought up the idea of palimony into the world with the first, yeah. you know, I want to try this. Other people in other states were like, "Oh, I want to do this too." So California court was just like, maybe we should take a look at this and be the first to, like, yeah. help settle this. Now, remember, folks, this was also the time of the sexual revolution. so non-married couplings was becoming more and more prominent as time went on, so this was probably not going to be the only time a case like this was going to arise. It's probably going to be one of the only times it was for a celebrity, but here we go. Basically, the case is he said, she said. Now, what Michelle Marvin had said, the reason, well, why do you want this money? She said, I gave up my career as a singer and an actress to serve as Lee's cook, companion, and confidant, just like a spouse. So she claimed she was entitled to half of what he had earned during their relationship. Her share would be 1.8 million dollars, plus $100,000 for the loss of the career. Now, Lee Marvin, basically what he does say is, hey, she's crazy and we never got married because this is exactly what I wanted to avoid. But it didn't matter because what Mitchelson had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that there was an oral (laughs) or implied agreement between Lee Marvin and Michelle Triola that he would share his assets with her and he reneged on that. Okay, so they go to court. Needless to say, the courtroom was packed every single day. Fans, reporters, legal eagles all crammed in the courtroom to see what would happen in this case. It was even a very famous focus of an SNL sketch with Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin.
3: People are reluctant to get married these days, and looking at divorce statistics, who can blame them? But the lack of a piece of paper does not necessarily mean the lack of a total commitment. A woman in this modern-day relationship may well give up all her own personal pursuits, as Michelle Marvin claims she did, to give her full support to her man's career. And Michelle Marvin is just asking that the courts recognize that reality. Dan, there's an old saying. Behind every successful man, there's a woman, a loving, giving, caring woman. But you wouldn't know about that, Dan, because there's no old saying about what's behind a miserable failure.
2: Jane, you ignorant slut. Bagged up, dried up, slunk meat like you and Michelle Triola know the rules. If you want a contract, sign on the dotted line. Oh, but let's all shed a tear for poor Michelle Triola. There was only testimony that she had sexual intercourse over 40 times with another man while living with actor Lee Marvin. But I suppose that sort of fashionable promiscuity means nothing to someone like you, Jane, who hops from bed to bed with the frequency of a cheap ham radio.
0: Now, Michelle Triola, now she came armed and ready to go. She was ready to fire on all cylinders. She had to show proof. They had a joint bank account. They were accepted as a couple in social circles. Oh. We're accepted as a couple in social circles. Yeah, we just don't socialize with anyone. No, that's true. On the stand, she wept as she discussed her abortions, and she produced love letters that Marvin had sent her. Now, Marvin, uh, Lee Marvin, he was ready. He goes, if I intended to marry her, I would have. He said, I didn't share my assets with her. I thought her last name change was really fucked up bizarre. And he goes, we only opened joint bank accounts when we were on location for movies. So it made it easier for us. He goes, but we didn't have like a regular joint bank account. And he had not relinquished sole ownership of his house. And they didn't own any joint property yeah most importantly though he said he said listen if i ever told her i love you it's because i wanted to get some oh good mitchelson jumped good. up and said marvin should pay one million dollars in damages for lying about loving michelle <laughs> <laughs> then they brought out a guy named richard dowdy thank god his name's not marvin hi how you doing i'm richard dowdy but uh, family name's marvin yeah there was another richard dowdy equity, <laughs> so i've changed it to marvin marvin triola marvin <laughs> and he was said hey While Michelle was with Lee Marvin, we had an affair. And so the the Lee Marvin's lawyers were like, she's saying she devoted all of her time to Lee Marvin. And obviously she didn't because she was having an affair. Therefore, this case is a moot point. Now, the best witnesses in this thing, though, came from Lee Marvin's side because (laughs) I read this and I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Because Michelle was saying the big crux of her argument was, listen, I gave up my career for you, which means you owe me money. Now, her career was a singer and a dancer, so they needed expert witnesses to say how Michelle's career would have been in each of those fields. So expert number one, the velvet fog, Mel Torme, (laughs) who on the stand said that her talents are somewhere between mediocre and slightly better than average. The original Simon Cowell, Mel Torme. (laughs) What about her dancing? Expert number two... make way cuz here comes singing in the rains gene kelly michelle claimed that her devotion to lee marvin caused her to refuse a part in the broadway musical flower drum song but gene kelly denied ever offering her a role so then the question became what career exactly did he prevent from, <laughs> from, from having so here's the verdict after 11 weeks in court the judge ruled that michelle triola marvin had not proven anything However, under the legal principle of equitable remedy, which means even though he's finding that she hasn't won the case, the judge in California has the right to give somebody as much money as as they deem fit, which is equitable remedy. So he gave Michelle Triola one hundred and four thousand dollars from Lee Marvin, so that she would have the economic means to re-educate herself and learn new skills. The way they came to that number was the most she'd ever been paid as a lounge singer was $1,000 a week. So they took that for two weeks and that's for two years now the judge did stop short of likening his decision to alimony or property division in conventional divorces because to accept the notion of equal division of property without a marriage contract he wrote quote would mean that the court would recognize each unmarried person living together to be automatically entitled by such living together and performing spouse-like functions to half of the property bought with the earnings of the other non-marital partner basically he's saying this is really coming close to saying common law marriage is still around, and we've abolished that. Both sides claimed victory, but the real loser in all of this was Marvin Mitchelson, who had taken the case on a contingency fee basis, thought he was going to get millions of dollars. He did not. And eventually, it turned out that he basically earned $6.50 an hour for his time with Michelle Triola Marvin. Now, in 1981, another court overturned the verdict, and Lee Marvin never paid Michelle Triola one Sent Wow. Lee Marvin eventually died in 1987. He never paid Michelle Triola anything. He stayed with the woman that he had met in 1970. During the ordeal that was going on, Michelle Triola entered a relationship with a very married celebrity, Mr. Dick Van Dyke. And he left his wife. For her? Wow. Yeah. And they stayed together until 2009 when, unfortunately, Michelle Triola Marvin passed away. She never married Dick Van Dyke. Marvin Mitchelson, well... He's the craziest one of them all. Friends, if you're a Golden Girls fan, and who here isn't, in the episode where Dorothy's gonna remarry Stan and he brings his lawyer to have her sign a prenup, that's actually Marvin Mitchelson. Oh, good. And in the 90s, unfortunately, he was accused of rape, twice, and the police opted not to prosecute, but they would not stand by when he committed the horrible offense of tax fraud, which led to his disbarment and two years in prison. But what the trial taught people was that if you enter a live-in relationship in which you forego the contract of marriage, you probably need to create your own contract. Otherwise, it means nada. And yes, it's probably not fun to sit down and talk to your romantic partner about if we ever break up. But uh, look what happened to Lee Marvin and Michelle Triola. I think he probably said something to her, like, I'll take care of you for the rest. But I think that was like a, you know, people say shit. I don't know what to say. If they, if she wanted this so bad, she should have married him. Yeah. And he didn't want to get married, so go find somebody else.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Ray, what are you thankful for this month?
3: Well, Rob, I'm thankful that we have so many great This Was a Thing listeners, and that so many of them financially support us so we can continue to dive as deep
0: as we can into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. And support my humble habit. Want to help us be even more thankful? Head on over to Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search for This Was a Thing, and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we are doing and what are you doing this november rob by being thankful that we can have as much diet canned cranberry sauce as we want gotta get my p90 eximus body on arr, arr, Ow! pull a hamstring
3: go lay down rob
0: mm. we are thankful for
3: all of you and we'll be even more thankful if you can head on over to patreon.com
0: now we're going to go into a more complicated legal manner Because now it's time for some pride. Okay. While Lee and Michelle were not everyone's cup of tea because they opted to live in sin and not enter the holy bonds of matrimony, at least matrimony was an option for them. What if he would have gotten married if you were allowed to? And for that- We go to Tickle the Ivories with Mr. Liberace. Yes, Liberace, the iconic piano player who owned more furs, diamonds, and clothes than any actress in Hollywood, but just never found the right woman. Wonder why. (sighs) Um, He couldn't be gay. He was accused of being gay in the late 1950s in a London newspaper, and he took that paper to court, and he won. Wow. Here he is uh, discussing gay rumors.
1: We're living in such a permissive world then I don't think anybody really much cares what anybody does behind closed doors. It's not shocking anymore. It's, uh, uh, I think in the 50s, uh, any uh, publicity uh, along those lines was uh, very daring and and, uh, it called
0: for a defense. Liberace's sexuality was one of Hollywood's worst-kept secrets, but it was a secret and one that was able to stay within the confines of Vegas and L.A. If Liberace was making folks money, nobody cared, and he made hotels tons, tons of money. Now, if you want to learn more about Liberace in the in the in the person that we're talking today about a guy named Scott Thorson, I'd encourage you to watch behind the candelabra starring Michael Douglas and Matt Damon. We're not going to focus so much on their relationship right now as we're going to focus on the legal aspects of their relationship, because now the queer community is going to try to take palimony because once again, gays were not allowed to be married. And so in the absence of legal protection, what protection could they have? When he was a teenager in the mid 70s, Scott Thorson met Liberace, who was 57, who took a liking to him. And when Scott turned 18, Liberace hired him to be his companion, a companion who could fuck him. They lived together, traveled together. Liberace put Scott in the show as the chauffeur who drove him on stage. He allegedly promised to take care of Scott for the rest of his life and even paid for Scott's cosmetic surgery to look more like Liberace. Oh, good. Talk about go fuck yourself. (laughs) In the early 80s, it was clear that the relationship was not going to work because Scott had become a drug addict and Liberace had a wandering eye. And so the relationship ended when Liberace was denied Scott Thorson access to the homes. He fired him from the show and allegedly was attacked by Liberace's thugs. And he had to sign a release saying Lee did not have to support him anymore. Well, Scott Thorson was not going to take this lightly, much like Michelle Triola. And in 1982, Scott sued Liberace for... $113 million. (laughs) What? Some of which was part of a palimony suit. Now, this was a big deal. Yes, Scott Thorson, in a time when gays were ridiculed and AIDS was rearing its head, was so convinced he was wronged by Liberace, he would go public and say, yep, I'm gay, and so is Liberace, and he owes me money. They had a, quote, intimate, sexual, emotional, and business relationship. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot for a business card. Needless to say... America was fascinated. The gay community was over the moon as it forced the courts to look at gay marriage as a legitimate thing. And the self-hating Liberace would get his comeuppance. Of course, there were still some members of the public who believed that Lee had never found the right woman um, and believed that Liberace was uh, was telling the truth. Scott was not his lover. He wasn't gay. And all Scott was was a disgruntled employee who got fired because he kept doing drugs. How dare they drag Liberace's good name in this mess? <laughs> The sparkly gloves were off, friends. In 1983, The Globe, you know, the the tabloid, The Globe, Mm -hmm. they published a story saying Scott was a prostitute and had had sex with his foster father when he was 11. And the headline was, ready for this, quote, Wicked Past of the Gay Suing Liberace. Not Scott Thorson, the gay suing Liberace. Scott claimed Liberace gave The Globe that story. Of course. And sued Liberace for libel now. $18 million, as well as having received threatening phone calls from people being like, you know, you're you're a creep Liberace counter sued for libel with Scott Thorson saying you're accusing me of of doing this, which I didn't do. So therefore, I'm suing you for libel. Then Liberace got interviewed in Newsweek, and he said in Newsweek, he said, listen, this is a guy who's just pretty much blackmailing me. Scott did not like that because he felt that was uh, slander. And he sued Newsweek for $36.2 million. Oh, my God. So finally, in 1984, it's now been two years of like this back and forth between the two of them. I mean, this is interesting. Unlike like Lee Marvin and Michelle Triola, where they could both acknowledge they were in a relationship. This is really bizarre. No, yeah, because he can't acknowledge. If he acknowledges, if Liberace says, "Yeah, I was in a relationship with this guy," then he comes out as gay, which is his like worst fear. His worst fear is to be known as as a gay person, and he's probably going to lose business because at this time people didn't take too kindly to that. Although I will say. I don't know how much business he would have lost. In fact, when all of this broke, his ticket sales started climbing through the roof. Oh, well. And he started breaking records. So I think also it wasn't like it was some big action star who was coming out in this time and they couldn't figure it out. It was Liberace. Like, big surprise. Tell us something we don't know. In 1984, the court threw out the palimony claims for Scott Thorson because they said, listen, a contract that you had with him that was for sex— that he would fuck you or you would fuck him and he would pay for it. That's prostitution. Yeah.
3: I was going to say that's that's... a crime.
0: So he's like, we can't rule on that. (laughs) So sorry. Now here's where it gets wonky for the queer community. Other palimony suits for heterosexual couples could show. Here's a child. I did my wifely duties serving as a hostess. Yes. That was considered a wifely duty. I cared for the household. Apparently, gays can't do that they said there's no way that you can look at a straight marriage and a gay marriage because they're just not comparable and they listed things that you could do one of them being serving as a hostess and i'm like you're telling us gays can't be hostesses come on hostess Hostess with the mostest on the ball. How many in your party? (laughs) Seven. But the court said to Thorson, you could continue your breach of contract suit. Yeah, I was going to say. That's still valid. But the $113 is out the window. out, Out the window, folks. So in early 1985, a judge said, while they're debating on the unlawful termination, they're starting to now look at the other cases that are in the court. So this is like the Globe. And they said to Scott Thorson, they said, listen, in order to win your libel case against the Globe and Liberace, you have to prove malice you have to prove he was maliciously saying that you were a blackmailer. That's a victory for Liberace, right? By late 1985, a judge ruled that Scott had to prove that Liberace took property from him. Mm-hmm. So now it's on the, the burden of proof is on Scott and that it would be up for the jury to decide that and if he was assaulted by Liberace. Like, so now a jury's gonna have to decide this, but Scott has to bring in proof of these things. Sure. In 1986, Scott finally got a victory when the judge said the Globe article will not be dismissed- as he thinks it does show malice. Okay. Around this time, Liberace goes on to Oprah and is asked about the Palimony suit. Here's Liberace on Oprah from 1986-87.
1: Speaking of trusting people, were you disgruntled by that Palimony suit? Mm, it's sort of par for the course, you know. You become a target for some of these things, and I, I discovered when it happened that I was. Certainly not alone. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a celebrity in Hollywood that hasn't been touched by some kind of scandalous, uh, uh, you know, lawsuit of Mm -hmm. some kind, you know. And uh, I don't think the public much cares, Mm -hmm. you know. The thing is that nowadays, you know... Were you a little anxious, though, after it all hit the press and the first time you went out on stage, were you a little I was worried? in Toronto yeah. and I left my hotel and I went to the O'Keefe Center, which is only about a, a block uh, walk, yeah. you know, and there on the newsstands were these headlines, you know, and I thought, oh my God, how embarrassing, <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> Did you want to go back to the hotel and lock the door? Yeah I thought of it. Yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, but actually, when I got to uh, when I got to the theater, they said, "I don't know what happened, but you sold out overnight, you're sold out for the whole engagement. I said, well, evidently, there is no such thing as bad news. Yeah. It's all.
0: You know, just news is news. Finally, December 31st, 1986, a settlement was reached and Scott Thorson won $95,000. A little different than 113 million, yeah. But he had to drop the battery charges. Scott saw Liberace on television. Remember, they hadn't communicated at all during this, and he s- looked at him and he said he knew something was wrong because Liberace looked very skinny and very gaunt. And when people in the press asked about it, Liberace kept saying, "I'm on a watermelon diet," and that's what's causing the weight loss. But Scott knew what it was. It was something that a lot of gay people were having uh, dealing with at that time, and that was AIDS. And so before he died, Liberace and Scott met up had a reconciliation where apparently Liberace apologized, and Scott apologized too. And then in February of 1987, Liberace finally passed away, denying that he was gay until the end. They tried to say he died of cancer, that he died of this, he died of that. But of course, it got leaked from the uh, autopsy report that he died from complications from AIDS. Now, Scott waited a respectful few months before he published a tell-all book called Behind the Candelabra. Mm -hmm. He sort of had been forgotten about until Behind the Candelabra had come back up again. And most of that movie focuses on Liberace and Scott's relationship, and the palimony thing is like towards the tail end of it. Gays were eventually allowed to marry, but palimony still lingers in the courts. Where has it gone since the early 80s? We'll let you know right after this break. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Hello, I'm Judge Schwartzberg. All right, so I've looked over the documents for your palimony agreement, and it seems it's valid, so let's begin dividing the property. Who keeps the checkers?
3: You can have that, Bert. Thank you, Ernie.
0: And the portrait of you two?
3: You can have that, Ernie. Mm, thanks,
0: Bert. And the rubber ducky?
3: That's mine. That should not even be on the property list. See, Judge, that rubber ducky was a gift from my new lover, the Count.
0: I see. Did he get up to 69? That's not nice, Bert. Bert can get up to two. Two minutes of lovemaking. Ah, ah, ah. Gentlemen, uh, please. Now I have to write out the cause of the separation. Tell
3: him, Ernie. Come on. What? The count gave him mothballs.
0: Seven. Seven reoccurring mothballs around my genital area. Ah, 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 ah. Thank you. This was a sketch. All right, friends, because of people like Michelle Triol and Scott Thorson, it was clear that many people were going to be inspired to sue for palimony. The courts would need to meet the times, much like Jane Curtin said in the SNL sketch. Times change and relationships change with them. So certain parameters had to be drawn. First of all, palimony is not settled by family court like divorces. Palimony goes to civil courts because it's a contract matter factors are always weighed into these decisions and all the factors that were pretty much barred up at the Lee Marvin trial, mm-hmm. like cohabitation promises that can be proven loss of income commitment between partners for financial support, et cetera. Those are all now part of, what is accurate, what is not accurate. Got it. And ironically, even though it dealt with Lee Marvin and Michelle Triolo, who were in a heterosexual relationship, palimony really started to move around in the 80s, 90s, and the aughts because of gay relationships. So you'll see like a decrease in like the heterosexual couples, but I'm going to mention a couple of them. There were other notable cases that we could have talked about today, but I feel like those two, to me, are the most fascinating. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because on one, you have... I think a woman who felt jilted, you know, I I don't know what career she gave up for him. I think people can sort of convince themselves of anything. And then you have this case where people who would want to get married aren't allowed to get married. So how does the government step in when you're denying somebody a right? Mm -hmm. How does the government then compensate for that? Other cases, Peter Frampton, remember Peter Frampton? Oh, yeah. Penelope McCall. She said, Penelope said she gave up her career to be with Peter Frampton. But the judge said, hey, look, you both never acted like a married couple in public. So, sorry, this isn't a palimony suit. Okay. In 1981, right before Scott Thorson and Liberace, there was tennis player Billie Jean King, a woman, okay. and she was being sued by her lover, Marilyn Barnett. You see, Billie Jean King was married, But she was gay and she fell in love with Marilyn Barnett, hired Barnett as a live-in employee and then fired her. Now, Barnett, being the classy person that she is, she blackmailed Billie Jean King with secret love letters. King went to go pay her off. And then Barnett was like, hey, listen, I found even more powerful evidence in these letters. We're going to court. The judge threw the case out and said, this is extortion. Yeah. Like you're extorting this person. Shame on you. Now, this is another gay one. In 1996, pianist Van Clyburn was sued by his ex, and that also got dismissed for no written agreement, even though they were together for 17 years. Wow. What do you think the the limit should be, the year limit, of how how long do you think a couple should be cohabitating before you think palimony could even be entered into the equation? Jeez, I I mean, I don't know, 10 years, 10 years? 10 years of living together, and then it could be considered. I mean, I
3: I feel like 10 years seems, and like, because five years in the grand scheme, it still isn't that long, but then it goes into like, what if in your second year you buy a very expensive house together? Yeah. That's up to the lawyers to decide. That's up for Marvin. Get Marvin. Dig him
0: up. And finally, hey, Ray, congrats A victory for the Straits Bill Maher was sued by an ex for $9 million, and the judge dismissed that case as well. I can only imagine how pompous Bill Maher was after that. Really didn't humble him any. So, folks, this is the history of palimony. As you can tell, it was a pretty big legal discussion. What I find so interesting now that I'm trying to think is, do we have any sort of major discussions about law anymore? I mean, besides the fact, like, established cases are being rewritten like a rover v wade type situation but like the fact that we were watching a law being developed in real time and a law that kept having factors that were so consistently changing to them i can't think of any specific
3: cases but i feel like some laws within the last couple years that are being written are based on like with social media stuff oh yeah yeah social media bullying or cyber stalking or yeah i don't know stuff i mean online stuff we're seeing a lot but i think especially with social media you see a lot of like people using dms to like like threatened su- like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. suicide or murder or just awful things and i feel like a lot of stuff is i can't like i said i can't think of specificity but i feel like those are the kind of cases that are, there's a lot of new avenues to go down with social media law.
0: No, absolutely. So maybe those are some of the things that we're going to be seeing. Yeah. At what point in a relationship, though, do you think one of the partners should bring up the idea of if we're not going to get married, we should have some sort of agreement in place?
3: I mean, if you start investing in a lot of things together, I feel like that should definitely start, you know, that that should a conversation should be had if you're investing in stuff. But then it's like one of those things where it's like, yes, we, we share a
0: house, but it's rental. I don't know. That's the thing is I don't know more assistance is needed. Yeah, exactly. It? So f- almost 50 years later, people are still trying to figure out exactly yeah. what this thing is. It's also like if you want to resolve all of this, get married. Yeah. Like what like what's if if you want to get the same sort of legal protection, yeah. gay or straight now. If you want to get legal protection, you do have legal protection. It's called a marriage. And I think if you don't want to do it, I think you know what you're getting into by by denying this contract, Mm -hmm. you're not protected. So folks, I'm so curious, what do you think? Do you think that the Marvin versus Marvin was legitimate? Did she have a right? Do you think Thorson versus Liberace was legitimate? What was going on there? And do you think palimony is something that should be entered into the court system as a legitimate legal aspect? Until that happens, let's play a game. Okay, palimony.
2: a thing and now it's a quiz this is a this was
0: a quiz with mark schroeder mark the world of palimony what do i know about it what do you know about it
2: well when i first moved to la i lived in burbank with a roommate for 12 straight years and then uh, when i moved out i took everything that fucker had <laughs> wow. i took half of everything that fucker wow. had. wow did you guys go to like Events together uh, alternating like I would go for two hours. He would go for two hours. Oh, okay and, Yeah, we, we had to share the time. No, it's all it's all it's all love with me and my my former roommate But that's the thing I think of is oh my god. We used to make the joke. We're common-law married. Oh <laughs> Congratulations. Should Thank we just you. do it? Should we do it? Should we just marry each other guys? Let's all just marry each other The world would be a better place if we all just
0: marry each other. I don't think that's gonna be good.
2: Oh, uh, well, we'll take
0: it over I snore
2: you know where you see a lot of these cohabitational situations though where Sitcoms. Yeah. Ah, yes. There's lots of pals, buddies, friends on TV shows that could potentially go after some palimony, you know, once these shows get canceled. We're going to find out who knows the most about these sitcom duos with a little game called TV Buds. Uh-oh. Ba-ba-ba! Robin Ray, you're going to go head-to-head in this game. I'm going to read a clue about a famous cohabitating TV duo. The first person to correctly answer the clue gets a point. The person with the most points at the end gets Gets a second season. Oh, boy. Loser gets canceled. Wren of Wren and Stimpy is what breed of dog? Chloa. Schneider gets the point. The Bosom Buddies were played by Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks, Hanks and... Rob Schneider. Laverne and Shirley were bottle cappers at what Milwaukee brewery? Schlitz. Hathenfeld Incorporated. Shots Brewery. Shots. Shots Brewery. He created Beavis and Butthead. Mike Judge. Yes, that is correct. Larry's strange cousin, Balky, Balky. Bartakamus. Balky. Pincho. show. from what fictional... Meekos. Meepos <laughs> is correct, Rob Schneider. What were the last names of the odd couple Felix and Oscar? Unger uh, and... Madison. I, I, you both share a point. Everybody gets a point for that it one. It took me guys- two weeks to realize the F.U. meant Felix Unger. Ah! On the 60s live-action Batman and Robin TV show, stately Wayne Manor was occupied by Bruce, his ward Dick,
0: their butler Alfred,
2: and Pam this obscure... Anne Harriet is correct.
0: Played by Madge Blake. Oh my goodness oh my gracious. God. She was also on Dennis the Menace before she did Batman. Thank you. Six for Rob. I think she died in 69.
2: On Mork and Mindy, this was the name of Mork's mostly unseen
0: and long suffering superior. Mork? No, that's the planet he came from, right?
2: Jeffrey Orson. Orson.
0: Oh, Orson. That's actually the same thing I said when Orson Welles sat on me.
2: Oh, Orson. <laughs> on Three's Company, Jack Tripper, Janet Wood, and Chrissy Snow all live together in this popular Southern California city. Santa Monica. (sighs) On Friends, what was Chandler and Joey's apartment number? 706. Or 19. It was 19. Rob, with a a big sweep on that, I think, seven correct answers on that one. Uh, really wild. You know a lot about your TV duos, buddy. Thanks. I feel pretty proud of myself. And some bonus points for the Aunt Harriet, where you knew her social security number. You <laughs> and the coroner's report. And the <laughs> coroner. well.
0: It's just too much. I won a, a raffle in school and I got to go to her autopsy, so that's why I know a little bit of <laughs> Oh, <my> God. <laughs> okay, so uh, social media at This Was a Thing Pod, yeah, website www.thiswasathingpodcast. No, no, Thiswasathing.com. This I still can't believe we got it. Uh, <laughs> thanks, GoDaddy. Not a proud sponsor <laughs> of This Was a Thing. Anything else from you, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Evil? Pa- yeah, check us out on Patreon. Ooh. Get exclusive
3: content. Only $5 a month. Old Lucy level. Patreon.com slash this
0: was a thing. Ray, if you and I separate, who gets to keep Mark?
3: We can do like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Happy days. Tuesday. <laughs> Never mind. We, hey. Have, hey. Palimony. Hey, what a <laughs> baloney. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thanks. Bye.
3: Thanks for listening to this was a thing and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running our editor Daniel cut cut Schwartzberg our composer Billy better than DC Reese, our social media director Gabe hashtag Crawford our graphic designer Natalie's nothing's too graphic to Savia and finally our games coordinator Mark the shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ThisWasAThingPod and Facebook we are ThisWasAThingPodcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you.